0: welcome. Hi, this is Dr. Carol Francis. I'm so glad you can get to join us. We are going to learn so much about spontaneity and synchronicity and taking a journey in your own life as exemplified by taking a journey down the Spanish Camino. And with us is going to join uh, us is Sue Kenny. Sue, are you there?
1: I am here. Hello,
0: how are you? (laughs) Well, hello, Sue. You have come to us by kind of a quest of your own. Susan Mann is going to join us this Sunday, and we don't need to belabor that, but Sue Kenny, you are a a fill-in, and yet I don't think you're a fill-in. I think you're the primary today, and I'm so glad you can join us with wonderful uh, ideas about your barefoot uh, shoe, but we'll get into that in a moment. Because you're going to baptize us into the experience of walking through the Camino, what the spiritual and physical quest is like, and you have two books on the subject. So where would you like to start us on our journey that vicariously will share your Camino journey?
1: Well, first of all, I, I want to say that it's it's a great honor to be a part of your show. i'm I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled and and I love how. I really have this strong feeling that the Camino is an energy of its own. I mean, it's connected with the oneness of, of the universe, but um, I often say that the Camino guides me, and somehow the Camino guided me right here. And yes. as a pilgrim, you learn, you learn to adapt to any environment. You show up. You sleep in strange places. You meet people <laughs> from all over the world. And so here, I, here we are on our Camino
0: together. <laughs> uh-huh. That's exactly right. You know, when I was reading your materials, um, I was thinking about Greg Braden when he says that, you know, long ago in Egypt or um, in Tibet or shamanic circles, they would send individuals out to do their spiritual quest to expand themselves, which clearly is what you're about to walk us on. But he also said that it has come clear to him as a spiritual journeyman himself that every single moment of every day is also a spiritual vision quest. And um, I want our listeners to really hold on to that as you sit there in your car or walking or washing your dishes or or negotiating your way through a boss or a business or children or whatever it is, that you're, on, you're in the middle of your Camino. You're in the middle of your spiritual quest right at this moment and throughout the rest of this day, etc., so with that as a caveat, you were about to leap in there, and I interrupted. Where do you want to take us? Oh, that's
1: okay. Thank you. Um, first of all, I should also just say, on behalf of Susan, um, she is another passionate uh, pilgrim, and um, really wanted to be here today. And, and I just wanted to extend, um, you know, her sincere apologies for not being able to join us. Um, but. As the synchronicities in life unfold, uh, it worked perfectly that I could be here to be a part of the journey. And I'd like to begin, maybe, maybe it will be best for me to introduce um, my story, how I was um, introduced to the Camino, um, to, just to give, a, um, I guess, to give your audience a, a perspective about you know, where okay. I was in my life and how, how it came to me. So uh, in two, this is, goes back to 2001. I was watching TV one day, like channel hopping, you know, I don't know, I was busy, I was working full time, I had three teenage daughters, I was a single mom, I, I trained as a world class masters rower, I was a busy, 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 busy person, um, doing lots of things, and most things that I did, I did fast. Um, like I, I, didn't walk. I ran everywhere. You know, I didn't drive slowly on back streets. I took the highway. I did everything fast, and that's the way that I lived my life at that time. Well, I happened to be watching TV, and I stopped because there was this show, uh, um, the Lonely Planet Travel Show, I think they called it, and it was about walking tours in Spain. They showed this Camino route uh, that people have been walking for 1,100 years. And I watched with interest but thought, oh, like, my life is way too busy. There's no way I have the time to, you know, go for a one-month walk uh, across the north of Spain. So I just sort of put it out of my mind. Um, But I thought, you know, maybe one day I could do it. And then um, about three or four months later, I was working at the time in the telecommunications industry, and I went into work one Monday morning. I had a meeting with my boss in the boardroom, went into the boardroom and looked uh, you know across the table and There was a woman there from human resources and I thought, hmm, this can't be good <laughs> and Sure enough, I found out that I was being downsized and that I had lost my job and they walked me out of out of the office and had me gather my personal belongings and then walked me out of the building for the very last time well. I, as I drove home, I thought about a lot of things. I thought, you know, I was angry. I was um, embarrassed. I was humiliated. You know, I was worried. I, I went through many emotions. And when I got home, I remember that um, I started to think about this pilgrimage route in Spain. And I thought, well, you know, maybe maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I should just go for a long walk. You know how sometimes we... You know, if we if we have a dog, for example, or when I had a dog, if I had a problem I had to sort out, I would go and get my dog and, you know, go for a walk around the block or a couple times and, and I'd come back and my problem was sorted. This time, I had a really big problem to sort out because I had to figure out what I was supposed to be doing in the world, not what mm-hmm. I thought, you know, would would be a good job or would bring me money or allow me to do, you know, certain things, but rather, what was the gift that I was given that I should contribute back to the universe? I had spent my entire life ignoring that, like trying to avoid it, because I knew if I found out what that gift was, then I would have to, I would be obligated to, uh, to do it. And I was afraid to find out, so I avoided it. But in that moment, when I got home, I realized that this was a huge opportunity for me, a chance for me to maybe slow down, maybe just walk and get a better sense of who I am and what I'm I'm about, and even more importantly, um, look at what what my fears were. You know, why was it that I was afraid to face, um, you know, the the absolute truth about myself? And so I decided that day that I was going on the Camino, and five weeks later I left, (laughs) And, oh, wow, uh, the wow. Camino, five weeks later. Yeah. Five weeks later, I bought myself a pair of hiking boots. I bought a backpack. I, At that time, there was very little information on the Internet. If you go on the Internet today, you'll find all kinds of information about the Camino, blogs, right. you know, all kinds of information. You can find anything you want. There's all kinds of books that have been written. But in 2001, the Internet wasn't what it is today. Uh, there were a couple of, what we used to call list serves, uh, where you could go and maybe ask somebody a question and they would give you an answer. Um, mm-hmm. But I was a little bit, you know, shy almost about going on the mm-hmm. list serves. I, I, I was afraid to ask the like, questions even. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, something very um, deep and, and um, powerful, I guess, inside of me was saying, just go, just let go of being in control, let go of trying to rush through everything, you know, let go of being in charge and of, you know, thinking you know what it is that should happen or planning Mm -hmm. things the way I want them to happen, and instead just throw caution to the wind. And I had this sense that the Camino would guide me, that because Mm -hmm. people had walked this path for 1,100 years, and its origins are that it's a Roman Catholic pilgrimage
0: group. Um, yeah.
1: So it, it, the, the pilgrims of the past, they believed that if they were close to the remains of an apostle, that they would be closer to God. So what happened was, word got out that the remains of St. James the Apostle um, are alleged to be buried in Santiago, Spain. So pilgrims came from all over Europe, all over Spain, but all over Europe. And they found a path, and they made their way to Santiago so they could be closer to God. And uh, this, this has carried on for years and years and years. Uh, so even though I wasn't interested really in the religious aspect of the Camino, I was very interested in the idea of stepping into the footsteps of millions of pilgrims who had gone before me with, with their own individual quests of you know, self-discovery or being closer to God. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: so interesting. Yeah, as, as you say, millions and millions of people, i, I was thinking that uh, you know, anything that we do, actually there have been millions of people that probably have done it before us. <laughs> it's just, it's just an interesting consider. to consider. Uh, it, it, so, okay, so here you are on the Camino route. You're starting your first day. You're far, starting your first period of it. What's that like to, to uh, step onto the path?
1: Well, at first, it was um, very awkward, I think would be the best way to describe it, because I, my backpack was too heavy. Um, I had things in there I didn't need, but I thought I needed, you know, things like I brought two books, because I never had any time to read, and I thought, well, I'm going to have a month every night, you know, I won't have anything to do, so I'll read my book. Well, if anybody who's listening knows about you know walking twenty thirty or forty kilometers a day with a backpack on, you don't want two extra books in your backpack <laughs> <laughs> because they're heavy, oh wow, so the first yeah, the first several days um it was a process of getting getting accustomed to the awkwardness and and making it feel comfortable not to carry everything I thought I needed not to have a heavy load with me, but to lighten my load and to train my body, my physical body, that um, every day I was going to wake up and start walking. And my body would need to, you know, would need to stand up to that. Would be a, you know, I needed my body to physically be able to, to handle that kind of a challenge. Now, because I had been training as a master's rower uh, for several years, I was in really really good physical shape. So I thought okay. oh, this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be a piece of cake, right? <laughs> okay. um, but no. <laughs> no. No, because the Camino <laughs> isn't about <laughs> it isn't about it isn't really about walking at all. Although that's what we think it's about. It's really mm-hmm. about the the journey back to yourself, the the journey, the spiritual journey, the inner journey.
0: Mm-hmm. okay, so you when you're finding out your your burden is too much, and what of us actually you know thinks we need to carry burdens with us that are really inessential, whether they're burdens of pleasure or intent or uh, relationships or uh, uh, angst um, materialistic perspectives i I would imagine that the entire Camino is a walk of releasing. Inessentials, and that coming back to the materialistic world, one of the, the Camino blues is coming back to an environment that's so attached to those burdens when they're, when they're really now viewed as inessential.
1: Yes. What comes to and mind? It's important. Well, what comes to mind right away is um, what you're saying is exactly, that's exactly what happens on the journey is that um, we, it's a process of, of a, I call it, it's like putting down things. I was putting things mm-hmm. down along the way. I was, um, the, the mirror was being presented in front of me, the mirror of who I was was being constantly mm-hmm. presented in front of me, whether it was through the people that I met along the way, the experiences that I had, uh, stories mm-hmm. that um, that I remembered. And one of my favorite stories, it's a story I often tell, because it it became really um, representative of this whole idea of letting go of attachment to something. Mm. And mm. Um, what happened was there was a pilgrim who had just mentioned the story um, when we were having uh, dinner one night. And um, anyway, I noticed as I was walking along the path that there were these piles of stones that people had mm. left, kind of like mm. a, like a rock cairn but oh, yes. um, because on the, on the Camino there are yellow arrows painted all along the way, so you follow yellow arrows, <laughs> right? Mm, so interesting. Uh, which, it is. It's very interesting. And then there were these rock cairns uh, as well. And so one evening at dinner I asked a group of pilgrims, I said, does anybody know why there are piles of stones all along the way? And this young pilgrim looked at me and he said, oh, I know a story about the stones. And I said, great, mm. please, you know, share your story. And he said sure. these words. He said, it is said that if we pick up a stone and put our sorrow into the stone, when we place the stone down, we leave some of our sorrow behind. Hmm. Well, I was, I was hmm. so moved by this story. Because hmm. one of the things that I had encountered was I didn't know what to do with the thoughts or with the... Uh, emotions or the experiences that I didn't want to think about anymore. I didn't know where to put them in my life. Mm, mm, <laughs> and, mm. and I'm the kind of person I need to, like, visually have a place to, to put something. And so this mm. became uh, a perfect scenario for me. And the next day, the first thing I did when I got up in the morning was I looked for a stone. I picked it up, and then it occurred to me that I didn't really know what to do with the stone. Like, how was I going to put my sorrow into the stone? So what I did was I started to walk with it, and as I walked, I imagined moving my sorrow from myself to the stone. And Mm. when the time felt right, I set the stone down. Well, you know, something happened. There there was a shift from my my being into the stone, and Mm -hmm. it felt as though I had actually shifted it. Mm. It was the first time anything like that had happened to me. I was so mm-hmm. excited that I wanted to pick up another stone right away, so I, I quickly looked for another stone, and when I picked it up, I thought about my daughter, and I have three daughters. So I thought about my oldest daughter first. I imagined putting her sorrow into a stone, because I was really missing my kids, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if, if wouldn't it be nice, actually, if I could give them a mm-hmm. gift from afar, from the Camino, and put their sorrow into a stone? So I did that, and I did it for wow. each of my children. And then I did it for my mom, and I did it for anybody who came into my mind as I walked the Camino. It mm. became a ritual that I completed every single day.
0: Oh, that is and so interesting. It's like, a, it's like a remote healing. I know that um, the, the movie The Way, I think, mm-hmm. by, that Martin Sheen is in, he's, he's going to deliver his son's ashes, as I recall, and his sorrow is so uh, evident throughout the movie in terms of uh, both carrying his son on the journey that his son was intended to go on and also carrying his own burdens and his own heaviness and, and releasing yeah. such bit by bit by bit. It's, it, it's so interesting. Did, did they actually report back to you, these people who you were remotely healing or remotely relieving their burdens, did they report back to you spontaneously or through interview that on a particular day in a certain way they just felt lighter? Or, or uh, what sort of feedback did you get?
1: Well, that's a great question. My my daughters didn't say that they actually experienced anything. Um, they were teenagers, and, you know, at that time in their lives, they're somewhat self-centered. And so I don't know <laughs> if they were just, you know, if they were paying attention to it. <laughs> but something interesting happened with my mom. I called my mom one day, and I told her about the stones because I knew she would understand it. And she was really happy to, that, that I was putting her son mm. down on the Camino. And then a few days later, I, like normally I wouldn't call home that often because, first of all, I didn't have a cell phone with me, and there weren't that many phones, and it was sometimes awkward to try and call from a payphone. But a few days later, I just felt like I had to call my mom back again. And mm. so I called her, and she said, Oh, I'm so glad you called me. And I said, Oh, really? What's up? And she said, Well, your stones are working. (laughs) Oh, wow. And I said, Mom, what do you mean? How are they working? Well, two of my sisters, who hadn't been talking to each other for quite a while, they just had a disagreement or whatever, they um, contacted each other and started talking again, and it made my mom so happy. She decided that it was because I had put the stones down on the Camino for her that I had opened up the possibility for something else to be created.
0: Mm. Oh, that is so interesting, and that uh, you also carried the burdens of of a, of a gentleman. I, I read on your website, which is suekinney.com, dot com. dot com. What what was that like when 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 you said I'm going to carry your sorrow with me and deliver your stone? Well, I think but,
1: you know what what happened over over time. Once I started to understand um, the power of of you know, picking up a stone, having something physical to put my sorrow into, and then as well the ritual of doing it every single day, um, then I realized that I could not only put my own sorrow into a stone, I could put sorrow of other people. And that's really, mm-hmm. um, that was the greatest lesson of all. When, and when mm-hmm. I talk about sorrow, it, it's not necessarily all bad. I'm, I'm talking about it could be sorrow. I also sometimes, you know, thought about joy and happiness, and it, it wasn't so much a release of it. It was just a, um, a way to present it so that, so that I could, um, rather than it being so abstract as an emotion, it was a way for me to, to see it. And, and this mm-hmm. was also, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, I've come a long way since, you know, since
0: those those mm. first days of picking up stones. Uh, <laughs> I oh, and and so therefore you've come a long way and you you've progressed on your own journey of life. You know, um, I'm wondering if on your uh, event to the Camino, I remember when Carlos Castaneda mentioned that along our path there are these annoyances and these (laughs) complications. And he mentions a biting dog that becomes threatening to him on one of his journeys associated with Don Juan. And I was just wondering, going through the Camino, there's got to be a series of vexations. Uh, You know, here you are in a state of peace and beauty and sharing this experience uh, with a number of other pilgrims and wonderful food and Uh, great hospitals or hotels to visit and cathedrals to uh, pray at or to have that sense of reverie. But there have also got to be complications that create uh, less than ideal circumstances that actually become among your greater teachers. What were some of your experiences along those lines? Well, when
1: I first walked the Camino, I I didn't stay in hotels. I stayed in hostels. I stayed in the the albergues or refugios. So many of them were um, were actually quite rough at that time. Uh, Today, Mm -hmm. they're in a lot better. There's there's more options. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the annoyances was that I walked in the winter, and in the Mm -hmm. winter, it's cold. Oh, yeah. So I was (laughs) constantly, constantly faced with the feeling of being cold. Mm. And it's interesting because once you get an idea like that in your head, you can use that idea to cover up lots of other fears, right? I mean, if you just focus wow. on being cold, then you don't have to face another fear. And so, mm. the, so it, the cold became one of my greatest teachers because as, once mm-hmm. I started to embrace the cold and be with the cold and live with the cold and adapt to the cold, then that meant it was no longer blocking me from taking the next step in, on my spiritual journey.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So the cold.
1: How about your second journey? <laughs> well, well, on the second journey, what happened was I, I got home from the Camino the first time. I didn't know what to do with my life. I, I didn't know what direction to go in. I didn't want to go back and work in the corporate world, but I knew that there was something more for me. Uh, I started telling stories about the Camino. People invited Mm -hmm. me to different places. You know, it started off with libraries and schools and people's homes, and and then eventually I became um, a keynote speaker and used the Camino as a metaphor for living a life journey with purpose. Mm -hmm. So um, after a couple of years, many people asked me if I would write a book about my journey, and I kept saying no because I had kept this diary, and it was a very personal diary wasn't something I wanted to share with others. But there is a saying on the Camille, or there's, the pilgrims of the past, would, they believe that um, if you walk past a pilgrim in need, then you have to go all the way back to the beginning of your pilgrimage and walk that section again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, so one day I, I woke up and I thought, oh, people are asking me, to write my story because they want to read about my journey. They want to know my innermost thoughts. Mm. If I don't write this book, in fact, I'm walking past pilgrims. If, if I consider that we have pilgrims in life, you know, that then I'm walking mm. past pilgrims in need and that means that I'm going to have to go back and walk the Camino all over again. <laughs> so I decided to. <laughs> So I, I really integrated all the aspects and the virtues of being a pilgrim into my life at home,
0: mm.
1: uh, and because of that, I wrote I wrote my manuscript in two months.
0: <laughs> oh, perfect! Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, and then uh, and then by a complete synchronistic situation, I I ended up meeting. Uh, someone close to where I live who was a professional writer and uh, edited my book and and then I released the book but once the book went to the publisher um, I decided that it was time for me to go back on the Camino but this time I was just going to walk it kind of like you know for the freedom and I wasn't going to be as serious about about the lessons I wanted to learn or about facing my fear about You know, all the things that were important to me at that time. I just wanted to go for a walk on the Camino and enjoy it. So I thought I would go on the Portuguese Camino. About two months Hmm. before I left, I'm sorry, about two weeks before I left, uh, a native friend of mine who I had befriended from, um, I had moved out of the city, so I was living near a First Nations reserve. And I had befriended this woman, Sherry, and she contacted me and said, "I must see you before you go on your journey." And I said, "Okay, sure, let's get together." So we did, and uh, she had a gift for me. She said, "I want you to take this," and she handed me like a package that was wrapped in red fabric. Hmm. And I said to her, "What is it?" And she said, "Open it." So I opened it up, and it was a feather. And then she told me. She said, um, "It's an eagle feather. It's one of the highest, highest honors in their in their tradition and their custom." And she said, "You're to take this feather with you and give it to someone on your journey." And um, <laughs> I just I just looked at her and I thought, "Oh my goodness! Here, my simple little walk on the Camino had now become another quest, another um, you know." Really, Miss- might, like a mission, Another mission
0: yeah.
1: Another mission, exactly. So I set out on the Camino the second time, carrying um, the honor of carrying a, a, a sacred eagle feather, and I, I thought that, you know, she had given me the right to, to make judgment about the people that I met and choose who I thought should have the eagle feather. So I had many, many lessons to learn there, too. <laughs> not being in, well, lessons about not being in judgment of others, mm. because I thought, I thought that the eagle feather was something I was to decide who would get it, and in fact, what I learned was that the, you know, the, the owner of the eagle feather, the person who, who would receive the eagle feather would come to me, mm. would present mm. themselves.
0: Did you ever think that maybe perhaps you were the one to be the recipient? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you know what's really funny? is that this morning I was thinking of that. It's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned that because I was thinking that exact thought this morning and now I'm saying it, you know, on on uh, on the radio. But, yeah, absolutely. I, I, well, the other thing is once you have an eagle feather in your possession, like a sacred eagle feather like that, what I learned is that the feather has never really left me. The physical mm-hmm. feather has left, but... When, you have, when, you're in, in, when you're holding an eagle feather, you, know, you are in direct connection with the creator. It's the closest you can be to the creator. And so um, I've never really felt that I lost that connection even after I gave the eagle feather away.
0: I am going to ask you a series of questions about what it's like to reintegrate into, back into life after a meaning, meaning of this. But, so think of that, but before we go there... I want to read a description you have on your website. Again, it's suekenny.ca. Oh, .ca, not .com, got it. Yeah. The El Camino de Santiago de Capacela. <laughs> I hope I did that right. <laughs> it meanders up hills through wheat fields and vineyards alongside hedgerows filled with blackberries. There are huge open skies in the mountain of the yo <laughs> as you enter <laughs> uh, ancient Galicia and the land of soft rains and eucalyptus forests. There are no barriers on this miniature life journey. Everyone is welcome. No one is disbarred. The more you invest in the Camino, the more it gives back. Some find love, consolation, spiritual peace. Few would disagree that the journey is life-changing. It's a place of peace. People come to the path for different reasons, to have a love affair with themselves, to gain, gain clarity, to ask for forgiveness. And if you walk in the name of someone who can't walk... Each reason is perfect. And then you have an invitation for people to join you, May 19th to the 30th, 2014. And I was reading to your description going, oh, that'd be wonderful. And then realized, wait a minute. This is a, a guided Camino walk, which on one level seems uh, ju- opposite, juxtaposed to the experience of living with the uncertainty and the spontaneity and the, the discovery of life, which is usually walked in a fog as opposed to with extreme clarity as to what your next step is, your next step is, your next step is, which is what the Camino seems to symbolize. But nonetheless, how perfect for people who have 11 days in May to join you. So talk a bit about that, and then we're going to talk about what it's like to recover from the Camino. Weird way to say it. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your, your, your tour or your guided walk. Well, I like
1: what you said about, you know, the idea that the Camino is supposed to be done, you know, alone without knowing where you're going, but I thought exactly the same thing because I walked the first two times alone, and then, again, many people, mostly at first it was women who approached me and said, they said that they were afraid to walk alone, that they didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, I thought about that lesson on the Camino, to never walk past a pilgrim in need. And I thought, well, if these are pilgrims in need and they want to walk the Camino, how can I help them to do that? And so what I did was I developed a program that's a little bit different. It's not your typical guided group. Um, What we do is we get together on conference calls before we go on the Camino. And I teach them about the ways of of being a pilgrim in life and a pilgrim on the Camino and what to expect. And we we come up with some, you know, ideas and agreements. And and I I just get the the group to bond and really understand how to get the most out of walking this path. And, you know, there are some people who will never walk alone. And so, um, who am I to judge whether that's right or wrong? I've now guided like eight different groups on the Camino and have had some of the most uh, interesting and exciting and spiritually moving experiences of my whole life. Um, There was a woman on my group two years ago who was a retired doctor. She was 75 years old, and she had severe osteoporosis. And when I met her, she she looked frail. I looked at her and I thought, what am I doing? How can I take this woman on the Camino? I, I don't know if she can make it. And then she proceeded to tell me that the year before she had gone on this trip to Alaska and had done winter camping where they dug a hole in the ground and she slept in the snow in the ground. And I thought, okay, well, I'm sure this lady, you know, this lady will be fine on the Camino. As it turned out, uh, we had people stopping us to take their photograph with her. We had people asking, you know, talking to her all along the way, translating for her because she became an inspiration to many young as well, like youth were, were, were talking to her. But she became an inspiration to people because they saw that even though she doesn't look physically strong, she was one of the strongest in our entire group and made it all the way to the end without really one complaint. Um, so... Um, so I think that the people that come to me in a group are, are the people that have ch- been chosen to be with that group, and often there's a lesson within that group that that we, we all need to experience. So it's, it's quite beautiful. But um, it's
0: we leave in, yeah, in and sorry. Yes, talk about how they can contact you and what and what they can. Uh, oh. oh well, anyway, how can they contact you if they still the calling to join you? Go for it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, um, we'll be leaving in May, and uh, you can contact me on my website, or uh, people can email me at mycaminobook at gmail.com. And um, I'd be, well, uh, we do have a few more spaces left, so if somebody's interested, they can certainly join us. We walk for 11 days and cover 225 kilometers, and um, you're not expected to walk with the group. You can walk alone. In fact, I encourage it. But at the end of each day, you know where you're going to be at the end of the day and the group meets and we have dinner together usually and um, share stories and that becomes a part of of distilling the
0: experiences of the day. Hmm. I think that that sounds um, like a segue into learning how to walk on your own and yet knowing that there are people that have your back, so to speak. If you don't come there at the end of the day, someone's going to know. And um, yes, it's interesting. It, it, it's an interesting check-in. We don't live our life in solo necessarily, and then the interfacing with other individuals, both as being helped and as helper, is part of our quest um, in everyday life. So here you offer that experience on the community. You offer it prior, even down to pack your backpack slightly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how to do that. Yes. You know, the, the very essence. Yeah. And uh, also, you offer an, an interesting experience of doing it barefoot, and you have a product called the Barefoot. I want to make sure we have a moment with that. And you do that on your Camino walks as well. well tell me a little bit about that, and also how they can explore your Barefoot products, your bare-bottom shoes.
1: Okay. All right. What happened uh, about three years ago, I received a message, and it was two words, be still. I didn't know, uh, I knew it wasn't about meditating or, you know, the practices that I've been doing for a long time. It was something else that I couldn't figure out what it was. I live on a lake, um, right um, in front of me is a huge granite rock. So I started to go out to the rock, I just sat there and looked out at the lake, and then... One day I took my shoes and socks off and I put my bare feet on the rock and all of a sudden this surge of energy came through the rock through my feet and filled my entire body.
0: And oh, it was that
1: moment. Yeah, it was that moment in your life, you know, like the laughing Buddha, you know, where I looked up to the sky and I just started laughing because mm. I got it. <laughs> I got it. I'm supposed to be barefoot. I I just completely got it. So I started walking barefoot, my feet hurt a lot, Um, the soles of my feet, often people will tell me as well, this is common, that the soles of their feet are sore when they step on anything sharp or even just walking barefoot on on ground can sometimes be sore. So what I discovered was that there's a, a reason for this, that we have thousands of sensory nerve endings on the soles of our feet the job of Mm -hmm. those sensory nerve endings is to um, signal to our brain to control all of the systems in our body, everything. I mean, you're familiar Mm -hmm. with, well, everybody's familiar with reflexology, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's that idea that it's like reflexology. But the thing is, the reason those sensory nerve endings are on the soles of our feet is because we're actually not made to wear shoes. So Mm -hmm. this is the bottom. Way of taking care of itself in any kind of environment, um, any kind of like weather or situation. And so I start walking barefoot and I noticed that the longer I walked barefoot, the less my feet hurt. and part of that is because those sensory nerve endings when you, when we wear shoes, they want to feel the ground. They want to be able to sense the ground, but because of mm. the soles on our shoes, it's cutting us off. <laughs> and so the sensory nerve endings go to the very edge of your skin, and, they, and you know what it's like when a nerve is exposed. Uh, it's mm. very painful, right? So that's right. what the nerve ending is, is trying to do. It's trying to read the terrain, read the temperature, read um, the moisture level, and then adapt all the systems in the body. Um, after about, um, well, several months of walking barefoot, winter came, and I thought, well, I'll see what happens when I go out in the cold.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> and I, and I live in Canada. Feet on snow. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: so I put, I put my bare feet on snow, and what happened, but just, it's, it's fascinating, because the then the, the signals to the brain say, it's cold out here, send blood, and while you're at it, thin it. So right away, all the blood in your body thins and it starts mm-hmm. to move around and it's sent to your feet. At the same mm-hmm. time, you also start to develop a layer of fat on the bottom of the foot so that oh, it okay. actually raises the foot off the fold, if you can imagine. So these are some, just some of the things that their that footing is, is good for. The other thing is that my posture improved, my flexibility improved, mm-hmm. my... Um, strength in my feet improved to a great deal. And then, of course, there's the whole aspect of earthing. I, I'm sure you're familiar with earthing. Well, tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So earthing is the idea that um, the ground is constantly being charged with negative, negatively charged electrons, um, mostly by um, lightning, okay? So, so the earth is, ne- is a negative charge. And so what happens if we're wearing shoes all the time, our body can't get this negative charge in the amount that it needs it. So because our bodies are bioelectrical and we have lots of positive free radicals in our body, so what happens is they build up. And um, when we go barefoot, then it connects us to these negatively charged electrons and um, then the body starts to respond to that and because of it, inflammation is reduced, um, the, the systems in the body can work at a more optimum level, and um, basically we, we need to be connected to the ground at least some of the time. Uh, I've read studies that even if we just go out for 10 minutes a day, put our bare feet on dirt, grass, rock, or in the ocean or in a lake, um, that that's enough for our bodies. And so once I started to understand the importance of earthing as a natural way to heal, um, I, I couldn't stop going barefoot. <laughs> it it made all the sense in the world, the idea that, you know, Mother Nature is actually healing our soul through the soles of our feet, right? Okay. And so I was um, um, a beautiful
0: idea. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> it,
1: yeah. No, no, please go ahead. No, it is, isn't it a beautiful idea that, that Mother yeah. Nature is healing us? That, you, you know, that be- she's there.
0: You have beautiful shoes here that, and they're made out of leather, is that correct?
1: That's right, yeah.
0: yeah. So the yeah. shoes
1: the- that I've designed, yeah, the shoes that I've designed are, they're called bare bottom shoes, and basically it's a soulish shoe. So it covers the top of your foot, it wraps around your arch, there's a thin strap underneath, and it hooks over your toes so that your toes are exposed and the soles of your feet, like the ball of your foot and your heel and your toes are all completely exposed so that you can still feel the ground. But it looks like a shoe, so you can still get into stores and restaurants and you know, if you're out on the on the beach or something, and you want to go into a restaurant, often they won't let you in without your shoes on. But with these, they, they, uh, they'll they let you in.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> I know that you, you said it's great for yoga and dance and for walking. It's so funny that this comes up because um, I was walking barefoot around my house, which is what I do. I love going barefoot, so I completely resonate with what you're saying, inside and outside. And I walk into one of my son's rooms and have a chat and turn around and, oh, I Break my toe against the side of his uh, his bed, and I say to myself, "This is just happened a few days ago." I say to myself, "Oh no, not this again!" Because <laughs> this happened about two years ago. And I'm just I have to learn to walk with shoes because I my toes are just too vulnerable to banging into things. And uh, and then I re, then I then I have the spontaneous opportunity to interview you for this. and I went. Oh, this is <laughs> just too funny because I am a barefoot walker from the very beginning of life and uh, as we all are, actually. So you've had yeah. some interesting adventures with going barefoot and uh, uh, with glass and rocks as well. And what does all that add Yeah, and,
1: and, well, you know, just to, just to talk about what you just said, when I first started going barefoot, I stubbed my toes all the time. And <laughs> I, didn't, I thought I was just clumsy. And I couldn't believe that I was mm-hmm. so clumsy that I kept doing it. But what mm-hmm. happens over time is uh, we've, we've learned to walk differently in shoes. When we're in shoes, mm-hmm. we don't have to do anything with our toes because they're protected. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so that neural pathway to our brain basically just mm-hmm. kind of stops working. But once mm-hmm. you start walking barefoot again, what happens is now when I walk, my toes are actually, they lift up as I walk. And they're sort of um, they're not stiff anymore. So that if I'm going to stub my toe, instead of stubbing my toe, my toes just ride over what it is that I'm going to stub my toe <laughs> on. Well, that sounds better. I'm not kidding. It's amazing. Uh-huh. Or my feet kind of have eyes now because the sensory nerve endings are so uh, so tuned mm-hmm. into you know the ground. Mm-hmm that if I'm going to go into something like step, if I'm going to step my toe on a on a rock, if I'm out on a path somewhere, what will happen mm-hmm. is my foot will literally lift up on its own and move
0: out of the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like your feet have eyes. <laughs> well, I definitely need to have those little eyes on the tips of my feet. And uh, that is, it is really interesting. You've walked the Camino barefoot and, um, that's no easy task with all the rocks and the stumbles and the, the twigs and the, and the thorns on the path.
1: Yeah, and, and thorns, um, the first time I walked the Camino barefoot, I got a thorn caught in my in my foot. It was really quite deep, and I couldn't walk. I was in a lot of pain. I finally got it out, and there were thorns all along the path. Like I noticed a lot of them, but what happened, once, my sensory nerve endings identified that that was a thorn and that it hurt when it went inside my foot, whenever I went near a thorn or if I went to step down on a thorn, they would respond very, very quickly and lift my foot mm. up or take the mm. pressure off my foot. Mm. So I never, ever stepped on another thorn again. Mm. It's kind of like reprogramming your brain um, mm. You've probably read, like, the, the book, The Brain That, that Changes Itself uh, yep. with Neuroplasticity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what's happened? Mm-hmm. Because, because we've been wearing shoes so much, what's happening now is that the, the signal from the sensory nerve endings on the soles of our feet to our brain is no longer being used the way it used to be used, and mm-hmm. um, the brain is picking up different pathways. So in the book the ba- the brain that changes itself he talks about his mother who's quite elderly, and he um, studies her and determines that in fact her neural pathway now says, in order to keep her balance she must use her eyes and her hands. So her hmm. eyes look down at the floor and her hands hold on to something. Hmm. And um, yeah, and so what happens if you look down on the floor and walk, you'll eventually get dizzy and fall. So, in fact, you know, when we, when we recreate those neural pathways, sometimes they can be even more damaging or, you know, more dangerous than walking in bare feet. What he says to do is just... Sorry? What he says to do is just... That's okay. He says to just um, <laughs> pay attention to the soles of your feet. So when you're walking... Just pay even if you have your shoes on. Pay attention to the soles of your feet touching the ground or touching the sole of your shoe, and that will keep the neural pathway alive.
0: <laughs> you know the the journey that we have through life is very much uh, we 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 get, we uh, enter in like cats and dogs barefoot, and and when we learn to walk, we would prefer to walk barefoot instead of like cozy with those plastic or cardboard bottom shoes they put on babies. <laughs> you know we. We want to experience <laughs> yeah. life on our tippy toes and, uh, and our parents will say, no, no, your feet will get cold and, you know, and all the, and, and I appreciate the attitude of protection, but I would think that one of the journeys of our life is that we, we both learn to protect ourselves, but out of fear as opposed to out of awareness, alert, being awake, and that as we go on these spiritually awakening experiences, we do realize how asleep many of our systems inside ourselves have become insensitive to things that we can see that are beyond vision or things that we can hear that are beyond our hearing. Now you're saying that our feet can communicate to our entire body. They can heal and soothe and we can respond in kind of like this bodily unity going, oh, I need to not put my foot down here. I need to shift and I watch my animals around the house to that shifting so swiftly, so automatically as it's, they know exactly what's under their feet and when and where not to put their feet. So it's just a, an interesting thing that you would do with the barefoot shoes, activating that same part of who we are. Now, if we continue on the vision quest of the Camino, coming back to a world that wants us to go to sleep and be insensitive to what's going on for ourselves is a shock. Mm-hmm. You call it the Camino blues. Mm-hmm. And you have a support group for that as well. But I think it's a really important part of coming back from any spiritual journey or any expanding uh, experience where we come back and we need to know that we are different and interfacing with the old helps us integrate our differences. But what, what you're finding along the lines of helping people come back from the Camino and how that is actually an extension of their lessons learned.
1: Yeah, it's an important extension of the lessons learned. In fact, I think in some ways it is the lessons learned. Um, uh-huh. How we how we de- how we decide to integrate it, and, and one of the one of the things, or one of the areas that became really um, important for me to share with others was the idea of instead of doing certain things in life, um, shifting into a being mode. So when I returned home from the Camino, I, I declared myself as a pilgrim, and I decided that I was going to be a pilgrim in life. Um, and maybe that meant I would do some things that a pilgrim would do. But usually, a pilgrim would walk the Camino. That's what a pilgrim does. <laughs> but but being a pilgrim is just embracing the virtues and the values, and and the idea of being on a on a life journey with purpose, and and um, and embracing all of that journey then shifts, it's really just shifting perspective, because really mm. nothing has changed. <laughs> we still get up every day and walk, right? <laughs> we walk to our, even if we're walking to our car, we're, we're walking. That's what a pilgrim does. But it's this mm. idea of integrating that um, the lessons learned and the experiences into life. It's so much easier if we don't have to do that, like, physically work at doing that rather than rather to consider a shift in perspective that really nothing has changed at all it's not this world and the other world it's not this world and the camino it's just this world we're just beings i'm not
0: sure i'm understanding yeah i'm not sure i'm understanding there's no shift that it's just this world tell me i'm not sure i'm understanding
1: well, it's not that there's no shift at all. What I'm suggesting is the idea that um, the lessons that are learned on the Camino are the lessons that we, or the experiences that we have, or the shifts that we make. Or uh, When we bring them back home again, it's, if we think of it as a, as a struggle coming back, then it's going to be a struggle, right? Mm. If we think that we have to... Physically, like it's like carrying that heavy backpack. Okay, now we've got the heavy backpack, the load of the Camino to bring back home and integrate. Um, If if we think of it as a heavy thing to bring home and integrate and apply, then it's going to be heavier. So the idea that I've been trying to uh, work through is the idea of shifting perspective.
0: So Mm.
1: shifting the idea that it's not heavy. That it's not—you don't have to do at it all. It's rather a shift hmm. in perspective, and then it hmm. just is.
0: Hmm.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, it,
0: it, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm understanding more now. You're saying that no matter what life I'm, 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 I understand. <laughs> no matter what life—okay—has presented, no matter what we create in our life, it—it it is the way we wrap our, our mind and our emotions around the moment that's going to have more impact on the way it impacts us. Than the Mm -hmm. actual event. Okay, I'm understanding that. So when people come back from the Camino, to have the attitude that whatever it gives them, whatever it gives them is going to be part of the process, and that it's going to be worthwhile, worthy, um, as opposed to hard, beautiful, and Mm.
1: And beautiful. It's about embracing Um. it and and loving it and um, Mm. and knowing that that you've walked that way with your backpack. And even the backpack becomes a metaphor. You know, often the things that we we are insistent on carrying in our backpack are often a metaphor for things in life that we're insistent on carrying. So if we just Mm. let go of that, if we leave our favorite, favorite, favorite jacket at an albergue for somebody else who might be cold... <laughs> it's, it's so freeing to come home and know uh, that, you know. Uh, That's almost
0: know. like that eagle feather, isn't it? That's like that eagle feather. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> it my is. It gives you my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, it, it, the it, eagle feather listen, that I right gave away is the way
1: that I still have. Mm-hmm. Pardon me? I'm sorry, I missed what you said.
0: Folks, we are talking on top of each other. There's just a little bit of a time delay, so it's a little bit difficult to have a spontaneous moment (laughs) when we dialogue back and forth. So excuse us as we stumble interrupting each other, Sue. I'm so sorry about that as well. But (laughs) I'm enthusiastic and excited about what you have to say and so many thoughts going through my mind. And I'm sure our listeners are having that as well. Sue, again, how can they contact you both for the Barefoot uh, Shoe product and also for your books, the, the Camino, which it's wonderful reviews as being so in-depth and descriptive, and thirdly, being able to join you potentially this May or in future uh, walks that you're going to conduct. How do they contact you? Oh,
1: yes, I'd love to hear from people, and and they can contact me on my website at suekenny.ca. so that's K-E-N-N-E-Y, And I'm on Facebook. If you look up My Camino, you'll find me there. And uh, There's also a Bare Bottom Shoes uh, site on on My Camino and also barebottomshoes.com. But, yeah, and I'm, of course, on Twitter, Bare Bottom Shoes. And um, I would love to hear from anyone. If anybody has any questions or, you know, if they want to walk the Camino and they have questions about uh, but what it would be like, whether they walk alone or with a group, I'm always open to sharing mm. the lessons mm. and the experiences mm. of the Camino you know, with other people. Mm. And there's lots of information. Um, I'm just working on writing a, a little guidebook on how to how to wear bare feet. Uh, mm. But um, if people want to know how to start going barefoot, you know, my first advice to them is to start off very, very slow. It's it's a mm. huge um, it's an adjustment to your entire physical, the physical alignment of your body, but mm-hmm. also um, we're taking in so much through the soles of our feet, and they're very,
0: very sensitive. So just go mm-hmm. slow, go easy, be a pilgrim. <laughs> yes. Truly, it is a pilgrim. I remember since I don't wear shoes around my house, I'm always putting my shoe in the car, shoes in the car, deciding which ones are right for the outfit. You know, the Southern California okay. angst of the uh, fashion. And so one day yeah. I, I get in the car early in the morning, it's dark, and I'm uh, totally forgetful that I didn't include any shoes in the car. <laughs> and I'm walking into my office, eight hours of seeing patients, you know, high, high professional, fashion conscience uh, clientele uh, on that particular day. And um, I'm barefoot. <laughs> Oh, and I described to my clients the dilemma of the moment because I don't have time to go back and get the shoes in order to get another pair at the store. And so I'm amused by the day of going barefoot. And what was so interesting is sitting there with my bare feet with my clients is, one, it was amusing. Two, it was odd. And three, it was yeah. a completely adaptable moment. And whether I had my nails polished or not was not the issue. It was once again me being present with them and they adjusting to now my bare feet being present with them, along with <laughs> us sharing the intimacy of what goes on in my office. And I, it's so interesting to have experienced that moment because it was more intimate, being barefoot. Now, not only was I possibly going to be judged by them as being blonde and losing it, <laughs> that kind of did <laughs> that's a joke in my household, um, but also... Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be present with them in a way that is very exposed, relatively speaking, to our Western society. Um, so it's an interesting thought. What would, what's it like for you to walk around and look at these photos with you in your bare-bottom shoes and all sorts of different places? And I'll go, wow, that's an interesting declaration to the world and how people receive you. And is that also true? And they say, you've done the Camino? Huh, what an interesting mm-hmm. way to spend your day. What's coming up in your mind as I say these sorts of things? Well, just as
1: you're saying it, it, it is all about um, I'm, I'm being who I am. I, I want to be connected to the great Mother Earth. I believe that um, that there's um, a network of intelligence and, and that she wants to care for us, and the only way mm. that she can nurture and care for us is if we put our feet on the ground. Um, mm. And so... Yeah, so I I even um, heard that if you garden in your bare feet, that the Mm. soil reads the nutrients that are lacking in your body, and it grows that in the food. Mm. No, how how can we ignore this incredible gift that that we have been given? Uh, Mm. And don't get me wrong; I mean, I still like shoes the odd time. Okay, (laughs) I'm a girl. (laughs) I (laughs) was (laughs) wondering about that. Yeah, like there's still a place for shoes. The thing is that we've shifted, you know, from wearing shoes in extreme conditions to mm-hmm. wearing shoes all the time. And mm-hmm. um, and you know, some people think that this is why there, are, you know, many diseases that are coming up, a lot of autoimmune diseases and diseases. Most diseases are based in inflammation, and a lot of this could be as a result of of uh, not being barefoot. Mm-hmm. But but more importantly, it is a declaration. It is a declaration that I am me, and um your feet are one of the most intimate parts of your body they They are in fact, so when your feet are exposed you you're absolutely mm-hmm. right, and you are you are exposing your intimacy and
0: you're
1: actually even honoring that intimate environment that you're in.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the days when a visitor would come to a house, and the first thing that the host would do would take the shoes off and uh, oil and wash the feet of the, of the tired visitor. And what a wonderful yeah. ceremony that, it, that we never practice. So you've walked us into the ceremony of walking the Camino, seeing our lives as a vision quest, taking each day as a beautiful spontaneous opportunity to learn and to interface and to also embrace our physical body and the planet Earth underneath our physical body as this Singularity, this this attunement, this oneness to feel, um, to experience, to cultivate. And uh, thank you so much for bringing all of that to us. I appreciate it, Sue so, Kimmy.
1: Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a delight
0: talking to you. And likewise. So, folks, another very spontaneous uh, interview here. Sue Susan Nan's going to join us on Sunday. Those of us that don't listen to live, you'll see that on the next interview as well. Um, but you have had the good fortune to listen to Sue Kinney, and you can reach her at suekinney.ca, C S U E K E N N E Y dot C A. Let me do that again: S U E K E N N E Y dot C A. Any departing words of inspiration that you'd like to give us, Sue? Ah, uh,
1: yes. I would just like to say, have peace on your journey, and as the the Camino pilgrims say to one another the words Buen Camino, and basically mm. it means to have a good way.
0: Mm. Buen Camino, Sue Kenny. Buen Camino listeners, thanks for joining us. Take very good care of each other and yourself.